Oh, Mom, it's K-U-C-I Irvine. Well, son, that's a good thing. Hello, my name is Kimberly Martin, and you're listening to Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County, a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Opinions expressed on this show are totally mine and do not reflect the opinions of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County and other shows, please go to KUCI.org. Well, hi. I feel I feel like a foreigner here. Did you miss me? Yeah, I missed you. Tell, how badly? Um, pretty badly. It was weird to sit here and listen to shows past and not have anybody in the room but me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I get to tell you to speak in the microphone. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. I. Well. Okay. So I was away for two weeks, and you dutifully stood by my side, stayed in the studio, and played some of my old shows. And uh, I bet you we got a ton of callers while I was out of town, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, phone went out, stopped ringing off the hook. So. That's funny. Yeah. <gasps> oh, that's you. Sorry. Um, uh-oh. <laughs> Fist fight breaking out here. Sorry. I had, to, I had to fix my microphone. I couldn't hear it all. Oh, okay. So, and then I turned, I turned my guest microphone up too loud, <laughs> and she jumped out of her chair. Oh, my gosh. So, well, um, I had fun. I went to Costa Rica. Yeah, and um, in honor of in honor of of me being gone, I played. I think you played the Maria show, right? The Maria show, the Maria from Hawaii. She's, oh yeah, she's yeah, my yeah, Costa yeah. Rican friend, so yeah, that would have made sense. I did play that, and um, Costa Rica was amazing. It was just such an incredible place. I don't know. The tropical islands have never really held much interest for me, just because I think there's a lot of sun. Um, well, oh, there we go. I have sound now. Okay, good. I don't know what was going on. Um, but yeah, Costa Rica was hot, but not too hot. Uh, rainy, but not too rainy. Rainy, and but how can... It's either a dichotomy, though, or isn't it? Is it rainy? Like, is it... Well, it's rainy or not too rainy. Well, I think we were blessed by the the radio gods. Oh. And not the radio gods, the rain gods. They did not, they did not um, give us any trouble. They... They came. Well, let's just put it this way: we would go do an activity, and the um, the uh, the <laughs> I was going to say the headphones. The headphones aren't working, Heather, but I'll just take them off. Okay. Uh, we would go do an activity, and when the activity was done, we'd board the bus, and the rain would come, and the rain would rain all the way during our drive until we were about ready to get off the bus and do the next activity, and the rain would stop. It was as if somebody had ordered it. It was hilarious. So, I mean, I'm accustomed to having a lot more rain on a trip like that. And then uh-huh. and then we came home, and although everyone said I was crazy, I hopped in a car, and we went to Lake Powell for a week. And we usually get a lot of storms in Lake Powell, and we got no storms until we were 
boarding the boat to leave and the only rain we had was on our way home so i feel like i was a little bit nurtured on my on my vacation I was somebody's really controlling the spigot in your favor <laughs> <laughs> they sure are speaking of spigot no <laughs> that's not a very fair segue to my next guest why not? why not but we have in the studio today leslie dixon and a special place in my heart for leslie i will share that story a little later on we want to get into why she's here leslie's the executive director and founder of the birds and bees connection and we're going to dig a little deep into well maybe you and me heather are going to have to do a little bit of a reveal about our childhood but leslie's mission in life is to help parents and children work their communication kinks out while children are approaching puberty and you know a little bit through that phase of their life approaching it and my kids are just getting to that place so I get to interact with Leslie a lot because of that but um, I'm curious Heather before we talk to Leslie directly do you Uh remember what that was like with you and your household yes I do a lot of awkward pauses maybe no not a lot of awkward pauses but right about the subject actually ironically and I'm sure they the writers of the show meant it this way, but um, but dating myself a bit, uh, my mom and I actually had to talk about the birds and the bees after um, we watched an episode of Roseanne where Darlene was growing up and starting to notice boys, and so John Goodman, had his character had to do that with, like, I can't remember Darlene's real name, but yeah, John Goodman had to do that with his fictitious TV daughter, and then soon after, my mom did that with her real daughter, so... Um, that's how the birds and bees got brought up. And it was a fully explicit talk and pictures of of genitalia and um, mommy parts and daddy parts were fully d- entailed. And, and I think I got it when I was like 13 or 14 years old. So I was, oh. I was pretty young. Yeah, so. okay. Yeah, well, I see Leslie just gasped because apparently the, the youth of today are getting this talk a lot, a lot sooner than 13 or 14. <laughs> Well, but um, the birds and the bees connection really you well first of all you're a school nurse by <laughs> by training and you um, studied you studied uh, in college you studied um, health science sexual health education and um, you pretty much have developed this program and put it out there between Orange County and LA in a in a really significant way and tell us a little bit about your the impetus behind the birds and the bees connection. Well, you started off with the fact that I was a school nurse, Mm -hmm. and I think that had the most impact of working with young people, and especially when I would go into the classrooms and teach that, you know, ever-present, you know, health education, sex education class, and I was just amazed at the kind of questions these young people would ask, and this was many, many years ago. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to send these young people home and say to them, Go talk to your parents. And do you think they did? Well, I know I did after I got that invitation. <laughs> I don't think I was I don't think I was the norm though as a child. I don't think so, because when I ask in my class how many, you know, probably went home, most of the kids will go, Not many. So I thought, well, then the parents are missing in this process. So that's where the idea, the inception came of why not have classes that include parents? that they're really the ones that play the most important part in this process. Who's the one that's going to be there when they go through this? You know, Heather talked about her mother, you know, talking to her. Well, you're the ones who are going to be talking to them. 
And that's a challenging topic for many parents. How do we start? When do we start? Do we start at 13 or 14 or do we wait until, you know, you know, they're in college and maybe come to us? Or if they do come to us, a lot of parents are waiting for them to come to them to ask the questions. We know statistically that's not going to happen as a rule. Are they waiting because they don't want to bring up the topic before their child brings it up? Or do they? Do you think the parents are waiting because they're afraid to bring it up themselves? Yes, yes, and yes. I think it's it's probably all those things. I think it's one they don't quite know what to say, how to start the topic. It's, you know, they're always concerned about how to start it, what their children will say. Um, Some of them are concerned that it's too young, um, and they wait because they think that, you know, when their child is ready, they'll come to them. Um, They're probably waiting a long time, as a rule. Hmm. Well, Heather, I have to ask you, do you feel like you got enough information at the time that you wanted it from your childhood? I think so. But I mean, we we didn't really cover STIs or STDs or the, as they used to be called. So we didn't really cover that part of it. We just covered the, you know, put a thing on it, you know, when if you have intercourse. So uh, that that's, well, you know, I just cleaned it up for air though. But um, yeah, it's so I mean, we I, at the time, I think I was thoroughly satisfied. Uh, with the discussion, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> so okay, yes. I have a question for you, Heather. Yes. You got it, uh, you said around 13 or 14. Uh-huh. Do you think it, it was the correct, the right age, or would you have n- needed some information even a little bit younger to sort of prepare you for the whole process? Because now we're talking about sex. I mean, that's yeah. sort of what you're talking about. But puberty is much more than sex. Could you have used some information to sort of prepare you for that whole process of puberty? Well, I mean, they did talk about puberty and your body's going to change, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, we did talk a little bit about that. But for me, like, um, honestly, like, I was a class spaz, so I wasn't getting a lot of offers. So so it wasn't (laughs) like I was having a girlfriend at 13 or 14. So it wasn't like it was something that I needed to know right away. But still, they, they kind of headed it off at the tracks. Did they talk to you? They talked to you about the physical. I could hear uh-huh. that. But did they talk to you also about the emotional components that also that you know come into puberty as well? No, they didn't. They didn't talk to you about the emotional components. I don't think it's been a long time. But it, yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't believe. Remember. I don't. You don't I don't believe they. My mom did talk about that. Part. I don't think I got any discussion about the emotional components either. Although I think I was younger than you were, Heather. I think I was probably ten, and I think I was younger because I walked in on my parents and I made some <gasps> snide comment to my mom one day about why was she so happy. <laughs> and I think it was just a little too adult coming from me. And I do think I got slapped across the face for that comment because I, I walked I walked in on him and I think I, whatever I said was terribly disrespectful and probably was warranted the uh, retort. But I um, but my parents were always very open. So any question I had was fully satisfied. And um, and I um, I I got I got all my curiosity satisfied, which is why which is why your course has been a big part for my family because because I was so open and had that I didn't really think that there would be ever any issues for me with my children, and as it turns out. I really just figured that all kids would be naturally curious and all kids would want to hear from their parents about this topic when it came up. And so it was really surprising to me when 
me being the supposedly open mom and her kids could ask her any questions when my when my oldest didn't come to me. Um, in fact, I found that she had shaved her legs two weeks before I'd ever even known about it. I was devastated. Right. I thought, well, you know, this is the time in life where I was going to shine as a parent and I was going to be able to really contribute to my family in a significant way. This is this is where I was. My skills were going to show up, you know, and um, and my daughter wasn't really going to have any interaction with me. She's still really kind of avoids any discussions around the talk and she's only now getting them passively because we're discussing it with our second child and he's curious so I found that to be really interesting that I needed a third party to tell her not me and so having having someone like you there that was willing to open the conversation that she was completely shut down to hear in any way from me was really really key and I think that's one of the issues that a lot of parents say to me is that, you know, they're the ones who actually um, open up the conversation and they get the eyes rolling or, you know, you can see your children leaving, you know, leaving your, the room with their, their whole body. And it's very uncomfortable for some children. And so when they come to our classes and we're talking about the class that you did with your daughter called Puberty, right? Um, which is ages mostly fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. So we're starting young um, because young people are starting puberty younger and younger. So what they get from that is having their parent there and having Having someone like myself with the background I have talking about the same topics that moms want to talk about, but somehow it works in this um, fashion of being in a group with other girls, being with the other mothers, and we do it with a lot of fun and humor. And I also think by the end of the course, they know some information, may not always come back to you. But I think they look at you differently because you're ju- I'm just saying the same thing you said, and they think to themselves, okay, she can't possibly be too dumb then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mom had some of that she done. Had, <laughs> yeah, she had gone through that, and we do a lot of that in class. What did mom go through? How does that apply to you? Um, it's a very interactive gentle course. So when you started out, um, really quickly though, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to uh, 88.9 FM in Irvine, KUCI, and we do want to welcome phone calls, Heather, don't we? If yeah, sure. Wants if to you want to call in, 949-824-5824 is a number to reach us and we'll Put your question on the air. Yeah. So Leslie's here to answer questions. We um, are going to tailor the discussion in a little bit um, to our uh, college campus listeners. But before we get to that, um, we were talking about uh, the puberty course. And I'm curious how uh, sex education has changed in the schools because that's really what's put a lot of families in a quandary. It started out that we all got something when we were in school, but as 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 times rolled on and my kids began school, it's not a given anymore, is it? Uh, no, it isn't, and it really depends on the school district. Um, you know what their philosophies are. Um, I think there was a time where more information was given, and also now there's certain information that has to be given. Um, it's part of the code. Um, especially around the whole issue of HIV. But that's even tricky unto itself. How do you teach HIV without giving, you know, a background? It's getting even more tricky now because who's teaching it? You know, they're losing teachers, and it's still a sensitive topic. Then we had 10 years of abstinence-only courses being taught. What years were those? Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> Those were... Or do you not want me to ask? 
<laughs> she gave me a big grin. I have in her bio that she's been teaching since the early 90s throughout Orange County and L.A. And I just thought, okay, you know, we're, we've put it out there already on the Internet, on my website and on hers. <laughs> it was during the Bush, Bush's Bush um, administration okay. when it was, you know, that concern. The community was a little you know, more concerned about what information was disseminated um, to children. So the focus was abstinence only. Oh, and I don't for- think I, I don't think I know, knew that. Oh yeah, there attention. was a huge war during the Bush any- administration. If you talk anything about uh, intercourse before marriage, they would just knock your funding down. It, oh, it was horrible. Oh and they didn't want to teach a- them anything about prevention. I mean, that was part of it was total abstinence. And unfortunately, in some cases, it was fear-based, you know. Hmm. And what we saw were statistics changing and, you know, a lot of parents going, wait, I think we need a little bit different from this. So, again, it's pendulums. You know, we know the pendulum swings. Sometimes we get a lot of information. Sometimes we get no information. And if you look at the statistics, you know, on CDC or Alan J. Guttmacher, you'll see the statistics that will, um, you know, reflect what happens when young people don't get the information they need to make really good you know, choices. choices. Yeah. Well, now that is so interesting. Go ahead, Heather. Oh, what I was going to say though is, is that as, I think it, it's more than a pendulum swing with the Bush administration. I think that was like a withdrawal back to the 1940s as far as how much they were afraid to talk about anything whatsoever. Truly, and and you know we go through these periods of time and we are concerned about what to say and and to say it too soon and oftentimes i hear if we talk about these things it will mean that our children will go out and engage in these kind of behaviors and again um all the research that we've seen is the more information also included in parent talking with their children about their morals and values those statistics go down it works quite the opposite yeah and i was at a focus on the family event in person once and they were talking about if you daughter if your daughter heard Katy perry's song about kissing a girl watch out slumber parties might get a you know you might have to supervise slumber parties or something and i'm like are you serious they're not going to just do something because they heard it on the song so I think there's a lot of parental ignorance about what their kids are may or may not do, you know, on, on their own. Well, and we're seeing this especially now with social media, with the electronic devices. You know, yeah. what information are they getting, accessing, and um, you know, they also need if they do access an information, they need somebody they can bounce it off of because oftentimes. What do you do with that information? And, and it's, you know, it's curiosity. These All young people are just curious. They in, need their information. In a lot of ways, I think the information age, as far as kids having phones and stuff, I think that's taking the schoolyard digital. And so you really <laughs> don't know. You, you still don't know the absolute facts. So you do need a parental authority saying, okay, this is a rumor. You still can have, sure. you still can get an STD if you do it. Sure. Anally, let's just say, because sure. I mean that's that's a common thing. Oh, nothing will common happen if we do it that way. Yeah, right, that's right. a common misperception. Well, in fact, there's even more. That's so. how Catholic girls remain virgins. <laughs> the yeah. Other misconception is not only that, but you know that you know if you use a condom, you'll be protected. But you know there is body to body contact STDs that you can get as well, where you know you could be wearing a condom, but if you're coming in contact, you could get you know 
herpes or you could get um, HPV, you know, one of those as well. So, yes, there is a lot of misconceptions, and it's really important, especially now with the statistics that are out there on STDs or STIs that, you know, that they do get a really solid, good uh, education about what they could potentially contract. Right. Well, well, you know, that goes back to the birds and bees mission, which I think is interesting. There are a lot of organizations out there that just endeavor to teach sex education, whether they do it through the public school or privately. I would imagine, um, I want to touch on this, I would imagine during those years of the Bush administration when education was really being restricted or not funded, perhaps that probably helped you spur on the growth of your business in a significant way, given the fact that parents were having to seek it out privately. Um, so maybe in a way your your um your company was at the right place at the right time um but 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 more interesting to me than this is the mission that you have of making certain that the parent attends with the child now i, I was fascinated by that and logistically that was not an easy thing to do and i think i was kind of the, I must have been the last one to know of the group that my husband had to attend because I'm like, oh, can't he just go with, you know, my neighbor? And and you're like, no, the whole point of the course is that we are going to take these beginning courses and it was a four week series and we're going to start a relationship and a dialogue between your child and the parent. And that was significant. Again, that came off of, you know, my early years of teaching, you know, and not having the parent there. And I was very lucky to, early 90s, work in a nonprofit called CCAP, Coalition for Children, Adolescents, and Parents. And the first concept came from that. And I've always believed putting parents and children together was really a wonderful concept. And I remember the very first class that I taught, which was tweens and their fathers and sons or mothers and daughters. And something synergistically happened in those rooms. And you'd think, well, the kids wouldn't say anything, but they did. You know, the parents were there and they were the support system. And, and during the class, I'd always ask the parents and the, and the tween to talk with each other. But those kids would open up and they'd ask these questions and they would sort of talk among themselves. And we became more and more interactive as the the courses evolved. But I've been teaching it now probably for close to 20 years with the parent there. Remarkable. And it is magical. Um, It's not always the most comfortable. Most uncomfortable for the parent or for the child, do you think? Well, that's a really good question. the the traditional is um, usually when if it's a mother daughter class, mom's pretty comfortable. You know she's glad to be there. You know she's really excited. Nurse Leslie's going to take over and she's not going to have to say all these things or at least start the conversation. And those poor girls, oftentimes they're the ones who are uncomfortable and you know squirmy. But they by the end of the class they're fine. Now, conversely, in the father son class. Because oftentimes it's mom making dad go. Mom with, made the yeah. Uh, mom made me come filled out to, the form. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how, I always you know how many dads came because they wanted to you know and they're all laughing, um, but so it's the dads uncomfortable boys. Uh, they have no problem. You know they're comfortable with their body. You know they're in close contact with their body from early on, so they're comfortable with it. With the fathers, by the time the class is over with. 
And almost, you know, universally, as they walk out the door on their graduation night, they thank me and they're, you know, they're appreciative of this experience they got to have with their sons that maybe they would have missed out on. And do you think that there is a tremendous amount of reflection on their own childhood and the own awkwardness that they had to experience by not having their parents help them in this way? Because we're talking about fathers maybe, I don't know, maybe because I married an older man. That might be why I'm reaching so far into the past. But these were from a generation where people didn't talk so openly. Well, I I think for the most part, you're thinking you're you know you've got boys and you have you have men and you have women and for boys they're happy to get the basics and go about their way for the most part and they probably could get away with it back then mm. you know it, it, they got enough or they got it a little bit as heather said you know um but nowadays it's very different um these kids need to have information And boys need to have it from their fathers. Mm -hmm. You know, moms play a really important part. Mm -hmm. And I'm about to say something that will probably piss a lot of moms off. Mm -hmm. But at some point, moms do need to step aside. Uh, And if at all possible, let that father-son connection sort of take over and let them both have that experience. They both need that experience. They say that that's really critical right around age 12 for the boys to develop their relationship strongly with their with their fathers it's and to identify true and it's not comfortable for the fathers they don't you know if they didn't have it you know how do they you know experience that you know and so i truly appreciate when fathers are there i appreciate them being there um and i applaud them and then i watch them their comfort zone and their their questions and how they start to evolve as they t- go through this class. So I really see a transformation that happens with fathers and sons, probably even more so in some cases than mothers and daughters. It's really nice. You're setting, they're right at that age where the transition probably is best that it take place and so you're right there helping that being a catalyst really for that to happen and in one of our programs our, our rites of passage program which is the teen the one that you're talking about your son and your husband are in we for the mother daughter class we actually have one for fathers and daughters one of oh, our nice. sessions is specifically set up for fathers and daughters and i created it so it wasn't going to be embarrassing we talk about self-esteem and social media because it's changed so dramatically and it's a really big eye opener for dads a huge eye opener about how much information their daughters know and how much they need to communicate and and be part of their daughter's lives. So it's a very, very powerful evening. Wow, that's really wonderful. I um, I find it interesting that the very first class we did take was a parent class, and we went over the gamut of certain things that we would discuss and we wouldn't discuss. And I was, I was more interested by my reservation to discuss certain things. Um, you had offered up a few topics, and um, my son would, would have been among the younger ones in the class. These are fifth grade boys. Some of them were sixth and seventh grade just because they came with their siblings. But uh, my son's in fifth grade. 
and has is really curious. He's always asking questions. He wants to have the talk. He had the talk a couple times, wants to have the talk again. He just kind of likes to talk about the talk. <laughs> Mom, can we have the talk again? <laughs> he's going to teach and the talk soon. He, pretty soon he's going to, he is teaching the talk. That's why we had to stick him in this class with his buddies. So he wasn't misinforming all of his friends while he was uh, giving the talk. Does he sometimes the give the talk to you? He sometimes, but he's mostly giving it to his friends and getting us in loads of trouble. So he's just a curious little boy. And, and we've told him somewhere in the past that, well, you know, this is what's going to happen to you now. This is the testosterone working in your body. And these are why you're having these questions and these, you know, these things are th- changing. And um, so whenever his new excuse now, whenever he's doing something he's not supposed to do, he's going, Mom, I have to. It's the testosterone in me. So he's got a new excuse. But um, some of the issues that you bring up in this rites of passage class, I wasn't prepared for. And um, I want you to talk a little bit about that. Well, I wasn't prepared to abandon the concept that my son was still having a childhood. Right, right. And I and that's and that's a challenge for every parent. And I truly, you know, understand that and empathize with that. When we the class that you're talking about, which is rites of passage, is really set up for fifth and sixth graders. Okay. And, you know, for the most part I see sixth graders in there and sixth graders for the most part are in junior high and statistically and you know research we know the information that they're getting from the playground i think that word was um from their peers now from you know the electronic devices that they're you know accessing so in my courses i sort of give options there's the basics. Most of our courses are the basics. You know, the, the nuts and bolts of, of, you of know, reproduction. Uh, reproduction, of um, where babies come from, puberty, health, you know, all those. Um, and then I let the parents, you know, choose. And one of them happens to, you know, when we're talking about sexual intercourse, um, it's we're talking about vaginal intercourse. It's very, you know, cut and dry. And it's, you know, it's the... We all know what that is, and that's what we're teaching them. The option I give is on oral sex because it's out there. And statistically, what we're seeing is middle school um, is where it's showing up. And most of the parents, you know, then blame uh, um, uh, what was the, who's the president? Uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Sorry. Oh, oh, yes. I'm sorry, Bill. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> I know you well. But it's it's out there. You know, it's part of... of of the, we want to give credit where credit is yeah, due. Yeah, want to get well. You'll give it. <laughs> so, the one of the things that I option, and everybody has to agree upon it, and it's whether or not when we talk about where babies come from, when we talk about intercourse, do we add that in as well, or are you not comfortable with it? Now, that being said, I remember what you said, Kimberly, mm-hmm. and what you said is you want him to first experience being a child, learning the basics, and that throwing something like that in there, it it sort of felt like it was too much or it wasn't he wasn't ready for it. Right. Um, well, and I've I've kind of parented in the way that they say an- answer the children your que- children asked. Don't answer the questions they haven't asked yet, because it just means that they're not necessarily ready to have those answers. If they're not inquiring about them. I'm kind of an uh, a need to know basis kind of a parent. You don't know you're going to Disneyland until we're in the car, baby, because I have to I have to have the ability to revoke at any time. But I just I don't put too much information out there unless it's asked. I I ask 
answer every question openly and completely, but um, it just seemed to me like, okay, I don't, I'm not ready to launch him out of his, I'm ready to, to satisfy curiosities, but I wasn't ready to start, you know, handing a menu over to him and go look at all you can do with this new tool you have. Well, first of all, his toy is quite old. What grade is he in? I mean, that toy he's got there has been around since he was born. Yeah. Um, And this particular topic is a concern for me because of what we're saying. And again, as a health educator, a sexual health educator, what I'm seeing is these kids are getting information, too much information, too young from their peers because that's where it's coming from, from social media, from the from the media. They're getting a lot television. of infra- television mm-hmm. um, early on. Right. And yes, in your case, your son probably would come to you. Right. In many cases, they may not come to you. Right. So in this class where we're talking about things that can only help them to be informed, um, if the option is to talk about this kind of topic... Yes, I support it because I would rather put it in this room, in that room, where we're... It's a safe room. Where it's a safe room, where the parents are there. Right. Remember, the parent is in that room. And I always say, after this, after we've had this class, go home and talk with your children. Continue this conversation. You know, continue how you feel about these things. Um, your morals, your values. That's why I have you here. You're hearing the same thing he's hearing. And yes, in a perfect world, I'd like him to to stay, you know, a child. Um, This world is pushing them into a place with information um, very soon. And they have to make choices. And I'm there to really help them and support them with the parent being present. So I, if you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County. I have in the studio with me Leslie Dixon. She is the founder and um, executive director of the Birds and Bees Connection. It is a sexual health education um, company that goes to schools, both public and private, and teaches children from um, L.A. and Orange County area. You've been doing this since the early 90s, and um, with with incredible aplomb, I might add. Um, it's It's been a wonderful public service for my family. I know a lot of other people have really benefited from it. But if our show and our topic has caused you to reflect a little bit about your own experience at this um, really critically transition time from um, child into young adulthood, puberty, and if you have some stories you want to share, uh, feel free to call in. Heather, should we give the number? Oh, <clears throat> yeah, the number is 949-824-5824 to call in. Yeah, if you want to call in and ask Leslie a question or just share a story, we'd love to hear it. Um, let's transition a little bit to our student population here sure. at UCI. I, I am struck by the statistics that you give to the parents. And it is those statistics that really are compelling enough to me as a parent um, of my children that they have good information to base their decisions on. The statistics are alarming. And I want you to share that with the population because... Because our children, my kids are learning about it, but I, I can still pick them up and impose a curfew. But these statistics are there because of the general, generally the ages, um, school age, high school, um, junior high, high school, and college. Let's talk a little bit about those statistics. Well, I think, you know, we're talking about sex. 
Yes. And we're talking about becoming sexually active, which is part of rites of passage for young people. And in my classes, and especially the parent class, I always say to parents, you have to realize, not that long ago, by the time we were 40, we were dead. <laughs> we, were, we weren't alive very much longer than that. And now our, you know, we're living to 100, and people aren't getting married until their late 20s, 30s, and not having babies till 30s or 40s. Right. But evolution hasn't changed in our bodies. We still are hardwired to have, you know, get married, have babies, or, or procreate. Somewhere around 12. <laughs> Somewhere around 12. But at least around, you know, late teens. And, shocking as that sounds. And yeah. it, that's right. And here we are telling them not to engage, which is healthy. Um, but their bodies, you know, their little are bodies. Are That's right. That testosterone your son's talking about. <laughs> that estrogen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that estrogen. That's telling our bodies that, you know, we we want to, you know, procreate. And then we have the fact that they're maybe ingesting a lot of hormones that have even more of those hormones. And the the, the media, you know, all this sexualization. Um, uh, Dr. Amen, who works with children with ADHD and brain issues. He's, he's here in Newport. Yes, I, he I is here in well. New, Newport. And one of the things he says is these young people, are their brains are sexualized, highly over-sexualized. And, you know, it's because of all of the external that they're getting um, around them. So we're saying that because of the media that we expose ourselves to, whether it be our computer, our televisions, or whatever source you use nowadays, there are so many, um, they're saying that it's increasing the sexualization of the brain of the younger child. Yes. I mean, they have seen So we've that been getting a high dose of it by the time you're in college, you've gotten a huge dose. You have a huge dose, you know, and, and you're at the point in your life when you are individuating and you want to experiment. And we see it in, in drugs and alcohol, how, how they've gone up, you know, how experimenting during the college years, many of them are, you know, engaging in drugs and alcohol, um, and then sexuality and, or sex, and all different forms of sex. And the concern we have is, and one of the statistics that, you know, I always refer to, one of the ones that bothers me the most, is the statistic around STDs. Okay. And when we're talking about 9.1 million young people contracting an STD each year. Well, these are, let's say what the age ranges are. These are anywhere from? We're talking anywhere from 15 to 24. Okay. So that's pretty significant. That's pretty significant. And the challenge with that is, you know, in the olden days, back in the, you know, late 50s, early 60s, we were talking about three. And they were all bacterial. And we could give them a good dose of antibiotic and send them on their way. And those were? Those were uh, syphilis, syphilis, gonorrhea, gonorrhea. and chlamydia. Okay. Okay. Non-specific urethritis, as we used to call it. (laughs) Mouthful. Um, And then with the change, and there were three major changes, and that was the birth control pill, uh, the women's movement, and the sexual revolution, things changed dramatically. And now we're looking at about 25 STDs or STIs, as Heather said. What's the STI? Uh, sexually transmitted infection. Oh, what was the reason for the change? Well, they are mostly infections. STD was a disease, you know, sexually transmitted disease. Uh And most of these, as the health agencies look at it, STIs. 
it's in, you know they use it interchangeably. I'm from the old school, so I guess it's I an still, STD. Yeah, I, an STD. I, I was impressed, Heather, that you yeah, knew they were called STIs right. all of a sudden. That's from hanging out here at KUCI. Yes, that's right. <laughs> We've got <laughs> lots of them learn. floating around. And <laughs> <laughs> STIs floating around. We do. Yeah. We have about 25 of them. And now we have the viral, you know, STIs, which are herpes and and chlamydia uh, and um, HPV, human papillomavirus, and obviously HIV, um, and then the transit into to AIDS. So young people need to be informed, um, and that's part of even educating young people in high school and in junior high young so by the time they do get to college that they're really informed. Well, let's talk about if they're so common, why is it so important that they um, guard against them? Because they have long, long, long-term effects. Is that, you know, with many of these, especially the bacterial infections, they are asymptomatic. Mm. Asymptomatic means that you could be walking around with them and you may not necessarily know you have it. And if you have a partner and, you know, you don't know their sexual history because you haven't sat down and had that talk um, because it's uncomfortable. We're talking about parents being uncomfortable having the conversation. Can you imagine, you know... Having that conversation, conversation on a date. You know, that's it. You know, can you just imagine, you know, those two people sitting down and going, okay, well, we've been dating for a while, and, you know, now we're going to start to think about having sex, and, you know... Dating a while? Well, they just oh, met yesterday. Yeah, that's right. Yes, it was just yesterday. Um, and now they, we're thinking about... Or last night, you know. We you should know. have a first date I had, a, I had an ex-girlfriend that was way too forthcoming, and so I knew about... All of the exes by her third date, and I'm like, stop, stop! I don't want to hear about this. You didn't want, well, but you know what? What <clears throat> she was doing was sharing her sexual history with you, and that mm-hmm. seems significant. And it was significant me to have me just walk out the door. We, I mean, it was, was it because you were afraid of the exposure, emotionally or physically? No, but she wouldn't stop talking about it, and it's just like I didn't want to bring up any of my past ex girlfriends. So I, that that's always an annoyance is when they can't stop talking about it. I'm not necessarily, I don't think they necessarily have to tell you about every single conquest, but I think it's important to know oh, that. Oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I've made a list. <laughs> some people want to hear about it and some people don't. But I think you need I'm to teasing. tell people, truly, truly, good job, good job, Kimberly. But I think you do need to be forthcoming. I think yeah. you do need to know that you have been sexually active and that there is a potential that there have been, you know, a, a potential of sexually transmitted diseases and because if you're talking about the statistic 9.1 and that that a lot of people have a minimum of two to three partners, not at the same time. Um, but well, if you're in college and uh, you're lucky, you do. No, I'm not, teasing. That might be fun, I guess. Um, that call, call in KUCI 88.9 <laughs> FM in Irvine. You, Heather will answer the phone and suss it out. Only if you're telling too much of their history, and then she doesn't want to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, we'd be on a date, and she'd be telling me about an ex-boyfriend, and I'm like, that stop. But that's also (laughs) telling you a little bit about that person as well. I think there's too much information, and then there is information. Yeah. And I think sometimes we go to the other extreme, and we don't give any information, because why? Because we're afraid if we give any information, you know, that person 
may not continue the relationship. Well, but but you bring up a really important point when you say um, hooking up isn't smart because you know you got to do the math on on this and the geometric progression of sleeping with one person can get out of hand pretty quickly. Um, but can we offer the listeners some some conversation openers to discussing some of these harder topics so that if you were a person, let's say that wanted to protect yourself from an STD, but also wanted to uh, enjoy the person that was in front of you. How do you? What? What? Give us some conversation openers. I'm curious because I was really good at this. I just put it right out there, and I, I have to say, I think it was pretty off-putting to many potential would-be partners. They just weren't really interested in being questioned, and I was interested in protecting myself and um, just bringing it up. Sometimes pushed people away. Well, I think that's really important because I think what you're saying is if somebody isn't willing to listen and to have that conversation, do you really want to, you know, continue the the relationship? No. I think, you know, they I think self-selected, but really they, what they were saying is I'm really not concerned about your needs at this right. point. I'm concerned about mine. That's right. And mine are temporal and urgent. <laughs> that's right. And could you take care of them right away? Yeah. You know? right. And that's true. And I think that's what I think education is so important is understanding that nuance is that, you know, sex is an urge and it's very satisfying at the right time, maybe even in the wrong time, <laughs> but it has its risks. So with going back to your question, I think one, I think your way of handling it is a good way is I think there, you can find the right time to have this conversation. It probably isn't over dinner, you know, in the middle of a restaurant, unless you're, you know, um, really brave. Um, but I think there there comes a time where I think honesty is the best policy. And, and to say, you know, I do, we're, we are having a relationship here. And, and, you know, and, and if it's going to lead to sex. If it's so. going to lead to sex, you know, and it's going to lead to us being sexually active, then I think we need to have a, a longer conversation about, an honest conversation about this. And that's what I heard from most young people. They really want honesty. Um, and, and sometimes that's a challenge. But I think honesty is really important, especially when you're talking about this. Well, I, the risks are very high. Right. Because now we have 25 things we can get as opposed to the three that we were worried about before. Of the 25, which ones are the most serious? And which, I mean, is there like, I know there's probably about four or five really serious ones, but how easy are the, the well, easier your, ones? Yeah, I, I finish your point and I'm let's, answer let's what, go over yeah, the 25. I'm going to, well, I'm like, I'll do the hot, the, the, the the top hot ones. ones. Yeah. Um, not only is it the risk of the physical risk, but there's also an emotional risk here as well. And, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, if, if you hook up, if you get involved too soon, you know, there may be some emotional downside to that as well is, you know, it's quick. It's, it's probably satisfying, but some people need a little bit more than that, and then it's over with. So I think there's not only the physical risk, but in some cases there's the emotional risk un unless some you know, time and um, care is taken into having this conversation about being intimate. We're not just talking about sex here. We're also talking about intimacy. And that's an important thing as well. Okay. So now just... Yeah, I mean, that, that gets sidestepped in a conversation if you're trying to figure out if the person's willing to use a condom or not. Right. Right? I mean, when the condom... Am I not allowed to say that? Sorry. No. Oh, I just, I'm lost look. a little bit. <laughs> I'm just completely lost with how you're going to follow up on that. On which one? 
Never mind. Okay. <laughs> so we can talk about condoms in a second because that's one of my yeah. favorite topics. Um, so STDs or STIs. All right. So we have the bacterial ones, which are um, chlamydia um, and gonorrhea and syphilis. Uh, those are, you know, those are the top ones. And the problem with that now is that, yes, we can, you know, give you an antibiotic. The problem is that the antibiotics are becoming resistant, that, you know, we've been throwing antibiotics to these bacterial diseases for so long that, you know, some of these antibiotics that we used to use don't work as well. And then the biggest problem for many people is they are asymptomatic. So you could be walking around and not necessarily know you have it. Or for women, you know, they could have a little bit of a discharge, not think very much of it, or think they may have a yeast infection and then go off and get an over-the-counter medication. And the long-term effects are sterility. Mm. And if they're not taken care of, you know, then somewhere down the line when you want to have babies... And your reproductive organs have, have problems. Tried. Well, yeah, there's adhesions and infection, and, you know, that can be a problem when you want to have children. Or for women, sometimes they have atopic pregnancies. That means yes. because there are adhesions in the fallopian tubes, um, and the, you know, fertilized egg can't get through. Yeah. So there are those problems that are the, the long term that we don't think about because sometimes we think in the immediate gratification, you know, realm of things. Um, then there's things like uh, pediculosis pubis. I never heard of that. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm going to write that one well, down. Well, we have head lice with our oh, little kids. Is that what that is? This is no, this is, this is the pubic lice. And they're so cute. They look like little crabs. And, you know, those are the ones you can get from body-to-body contact. Um, whether you're having sex or not. Whether you're having sex or not in somebody's bed, you know, in a sleeping bag. And so you need to take care of that as well because they're that parasites. That would be embarrassing, yeah. yeah. it's very embarrassing. Oopsie. Um <laughs> Then you have... That the, one's easy to suss out if your partner's reaching under the table and scratching, scratching a lot. Scratching a lot. That's right. <laughs> or you look down there and you see some really red patches. Uh, okay. um, so, yes, that's, that's you know... There is one way you have no fear of ever catching that from your partner, but that's probably going into too great of detail. To M- TMI? <laughs> TMI, yes. Okay. Now, now you're going to have I them know, all I'm calling. Like, now they're going to call because they're all waiting. What is she talking about? I think, I think it involves being hairless. Uh-huh, pretty much. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, that is... True, but you just have to keep being hairless. That's yeah. all. You got to um, keep on top of that. But see, I'm I'm still thinking we need to offer something that you say before you're sussing out red patches and you know that kind of thing. Like I really, what is the right time if you're going on a date? You're going out. You do it before they arrive. You call and go. By the way, if we have a fabulous time and we end up in bed tonight, um, is there anything I should know about something like that? I think after, I think after, well, first. I am so married and so past this point that um, I I can almost not remember. But see, I was dating a pathologist. So there was, I think, I think, I think there was pathology reports involved with my, <laughs> with my clearance. No, I'm teasing. Oh my, that would be, that's on the first day he pulls out, you know, his swabs, you know, he wants to do swabbing. His microscope and his slides. His well, he, he did say something about a wet mount. <laughs> 
<laughs> you may have to you may have to tell people what that is. Well, in pathology speak, it's just a slide with it's a little bit of liquid. It's just a slide with stuff on it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. with liquid on it. I'm teasing. Well, it depends if you're talking about hooking up. And then if you're hooking up, then you're probably not asking these questions anyway. It's not going to be. If you're talking about a potential relationship, then I think, you know, first of all, I think you need to get to know each other a little bit. And one of the activities we do in our class is called the Building Blocks of Intimacy. Mm. And it is all about this, this sort of pyramid of you start at the bottom trying to get to know somebody. And then the top, you're sort of aiming towards marriage and, and you know, making love or having sex and being in love. And what does it take? It really takes a lot of these things. So I think just having a relationship, getting to know somebody um, without that need to, you know, jump into the sex part, but start to think about first developing a relationship and getting to know the person and creating some intimacy. Um, and then you'll know if you listen to your instincts, when is that time that, you know, you can broach that. Um, and the other thing about broaching this with that person is it also tells you if you start to talk to that person about it and they do freak out and they get resentful or, or you know, um, upset about it, that's a huge piece. Do you really want to... Huge red flag. That's right. Do you really want to have sex with this person who's not willing to have an open, honest conversation? Not telling all their, you know, sexual contour right. quests. But yes, yeah. that I've been sexually active and, you know, I may or may not have had a, you know, an STD. And, and you know, maybe we need, if, if this is going to the next part of being, you know, sec having sex that we do need to be tested or have you been tested and do you have your results i mean yes this seems sort of a very awkward conversation to have but what are the risks of these 25 stis how many of those can be a person with these can be an asymptomatic shutter of the of the virus or of well bacteria? especially the the bacterial i mean those are for sure um, I mean, you could have... You 10, could, 20% of them, 30% of them. I would them. say 30% of so them. So that's significant. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a large number of possibilities. You could be walking around and not know. It's kind of like having the common cold. You don't know uh, for the five days leading up to it that sure. you could be contagious. And the other thing is how many people feel comfortable going to a clinic. Okay, so maybe you do start to notice something and, you know, how comfortable are we going, all right, well, maybe it's something and putting all the puzzle pieces together and going, I've got to get to a clinic quickly and get this checked out and make sure that I don't have anything. So, I mean, it's not just the conversation, but it's also what if you do suspect you've got something or or you're sexually, you're having a relationship you know, and maybe you do need to be checked out. You need to really be concerned about yourself um, because this is your body that is at risk, not just now, but long term. I was just curious if you're going to do like blood work or something, like if you're just checking for liver failure, do the, the, do the people, the technicians also check for STIs when they're doing that? Or is it just like based on what they're looking for with the set parameters? I'm not totally, you know, up on all that, but I can say to you is that when they do a liver function and they do any kind of panel of testing, if there's something going on in your body, 
it's going to show up in the white blood cells, um, that there's some kind of infection going on, and that, you know, any reliable doctor, you know, is going to start tracking where did this come from. I mean, the classic case is Magic Johnson. If I'm not mistaken, he went for an exam for um, insurance. You know, they were upping oh, his yeah. insurance. And so, you know, their blood work will say something's not quite right. Um, hopefully. Now, mm-hmm. in some cases, it won't show up in blood work. It has to be that, you know, that slide. That specific wet mount. You know, it has mm-hmm. to be that wet mount. It has to be that way of showing up unless it's been in your system for a long time and your system is starting to compromise. Um, and then in that case, you'll see it with the, the white blood cells telling you that there's something going on. Interesting. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, I just get to this place every hour. We did not devote enough time Mm -hmm. to the topic. It's ridiculous. Um, So we just have a few minutes left. Tell everybody your website, if you wouldn't mind. www.birds, B-I-R-D-S, N as in Nancy, B's, B-E-E-S, connection.com. Birds in bees Correct. So uh, Leslie offers these classes for um, for families of young children and rites of passages as the children are getting older. Um, it's just been an it's been great. I just I'm glad I got to giggle a little bit because it is fun to giggle about these topics. Um, Humor is very very important. It's very important. I think that's probably how I got through my single years, and um, and then the last thing I want to bring up is you offered an internship um, opportunity for a student at KUCI. It's a social media and marketing position, and I have a lot of details on that. I'm going to put them up on my website at um, realpeopleoc.com, and or you can go and contact Leslie directly. So once again, if you're interested in working directly with Leslie. And, um, and possibly doing some development work for her and for her company. We offer that out as an opportunity for a KUCI student. Thank I mean, you. not a KUCI student, but a UCI student. Um, I do believe that we have a lot of courses here at the campus where um, you might find yourself where this would fit in line with what you're doing. This is um, the uh, summer lineup we have here at KUCI, so things are a little bit different. But um, I invite you to go to my website, Real People oc.com if you want some more information about how to get a hold of Leslie. Leslie, it has been so much fun. I feel like we didn't do the topic justice again. I'll figure out a way to squeeze it all in in an hour the next time we have you back. Thank you. Um, we'll figure out a way to uh, to say so so much of what we touched on today was was really important I think to our listeners. Heather, what do you think? No, it was a great it was a great topic and I think more people need to know about, you know, the risks that are inherent out in the world when you go you know, messing around with different partners. So. And I think the more we talk openly about it here at uh, either KUCI or other media outlets, the more open you can be in your personal life. So, Leslie, I thank you for opening the conversation with us today thank and you making for that possible. Me. I enjoyed it. I'm so glad. Okay, so this has been the Real People of Orange County. Up next is Counterspin and Matt Kaplan, and then also Matt Kaplan with Planetary Radio at 530 Then Kyle, I believe, is finally back from his great tour of the West. And so (laughs) Things That Are Square will be live at 6 o'clock. And uh, stay tuned after these brief messages.